This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew chapter 11. We'll be looking at verse 20 for starters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for gathering us here tonight. Lord, um, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the message of the cross. Salvation through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for salvation by grace, grace alone. Lord, we're not worthy. We can't earn it. It's just all of mercy. Your grace, Your love. And Lord, thank You for the privilege of allowing us to take this message into the world. Please bless the reading and the proclamation of Your Word tonight. Grant us ears to hear, we pray. And Lord, I ask that You enable me to speak. Deliver the message You won't deliver. May it all be for Your praise and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 11 and verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. 
Amen. May the Lord bless the reading, hearing of His Word. Well, it almost seems, at least on the surface, like a contradiction, doesn't it? When you read verses 20 through 24 and then read verses 28 through 30 that we just finished up with. We run into here the, uh, the age-old paradox of the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. And remember the context of, of this discourse as we, we talked about this morning. The, the running theme here, so to speak, is um, opposition to Christ. And in, in these chapters, chapters 11, 12, and 13, he's, he's talking about uh, people being offended at him and opposing him, um, refusing to repent. And this is uh, the context in which he makes the statements we just Read And here in verse 20, uh, specifically, he begins to pronounce judgment upon the cities, which obviously he means the, the inhabitants, uh, the people that dwell in those cities. Cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Chorazin, Chorazin and uh, Capernaum both were Gal- Galilean cities. Uh, Chorazin, about two miles north of Capernaum. Um, and an interesting note, and uh, it's going to be the case with all these, uh, Chorazin uh, ceased to be inhabited in about the, uh, the, the second half of the third century. Capernaum was on the northwest shore of Galilee, and one of the, one of the in- interesting things about Capernaum that we've already mentioned uh, earlier on uh, is that it was for a while the home of Jesus. Um, it was his, his base that he was working out of. In fact, if you... If you Let's just look briefly back at chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, now, when he heard that John had been arrested, and that's, of course, referring to the, the arrest of John the Baptist that we've been talking quite a bit about. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. And then over in chapter 9, uh, verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And that's, that's a reference to Capernaum uh, on the northwest shore of Galilee. So Jesus uh, used Capernaum for a while as his, his, uh, as his base. As, he used it as, or adopted it as his home town. And yet, it also is the recipient here of uh, pronouncement of woe because of un, unbelief. It was also the home of Peter and Andrew and uh, Matthew and probably James and John. Tyre and, and Sidon are Gentile cities, Phoenician cities on the coast. They were uh, uh, significant uh, ports. There's, there's, there's mention of them in uh, extra-biblical literature you know, uh, as early as 2000 B.C., and, of course, they're mentioned many, many times in, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, and there, too, judgment is pronounced. And, and in fact, it was prophesied at, at one point that, that the uh, that, that tire would literally be carried into the sea stone by stone. And that did actually happen. And But here, uh, Jesus pronounces judgment upon them again for their, for their unbelief. 
So in verses 20 through 24, these are pronouncement of woes. Woes. That's, that's not a, that may sound like a funny thing. You know, we don't use that word a lot unless we're trying to be funny or something like, oh, woe is me, right? Uh, Reminds you of a uh, Linda Ronstadt song or something like that. Uh, but in the Scriptures, it's, it's, it's uh, not funny at all. He's, he's pronouncing judgment. He began to denounce the cities where most of His mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. So here again, the opposition comes to the surface. Jesus Himself, the Son of God, the Christ, in these cities, doing like we talked about this morning, doing the will of God, manifesting God right before their eyes. And they refuse to repent. And so His, his response to that is, you're, you're going to face judgment. Now this is part of the Gospel Message, believe it or not. Now, the word, if you're familiar with the word gospel, the gospel means good news. Good news. But it's, it's hard to define, really, isn't it, good news unless, unless you have bad news. I mean, what would be so good about the gospel? For example, what would be so good about salvation if there wasn't something to be saved from? I mean, the reality is, and, it, and it's not just a, it, you know, this is not just part of a myth, all these things put together uh, to make us feel good. The reality is we're in need of salvation. Apart from Christ, we face eternal damnation. We face judgment. The kind of woe that he's talking about here. So this is part of our proclaiming, our preaching the gospel. The exhortation to repent. Repent or face judgment. There are eternal consequences to refusal to repent. Now, Jesus says, um, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if, my, for if the mighty works done in you had been entire and done entire in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then again, Capernaum. Woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? That was probably their mindset. They were a, a, they were a, a significant city at the time. Will you be exalted to heaven? Uh, Jesus says you will be brought down to hell, to Hades. And then He goes on to say similar uh, words that He said about Chorazin and Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. What's he saying? You're, you're going to be held accountable. Man is responsible for our actions. We're responsible for whether or not we, uh, or for how we respond to the gospel. Whether or not we repent. Human beings are responsible. We're accountable. We're all going to stand, the Scripture says. We're all going to stand before the judgment. The judgment of God. The judgment seat of Christ. And give an account for deeds done in the body. We are responsible for our actions. And I think really this is what... Uh, I'm not a big believer in atheists. Um, I mean, I know there are people out there that claim to be atheists. I realize that. 
<laughs> I'm just not convinced that they really, really are atheists. Uh, I, I think of them like a, like a writer uh, uh, that I, uh, uh, I read a book years ago by a man named Richard uh, Blanchard. And uh, the, the, the gist of his book was, and the book was called, uh, Does God Believe in Atheists? Um, it's an excellent book. And, and the, the gist of it when you get to the end is he's saying that there's no such thing as atheists. They are anti-theist. If we really want to be on, honest about it, they are anti-theist. Why are they anti-theist? Well, I think one of the reasons is because they want to escape accountability. They want to escape accountability. They want to convince themselves and convince other people there's no judgment. There's no God, and therefore there's no judgment. If, if there's no God, then there, there really is no good or bad, no morality, nothing to... I mean, you know, we, we have things we, we can call morality, but there's no real basis for it. So there's no such thing as sin, and therefore there's no judgment. And even in churches that call themselves Christians, or among even some evangelical churches today, there's, there's denial of the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of judgment. A book that came out uh, just recently, I think, the name of it is Love Wins. Uh, and the, the author's name escapes me right, right now, but he's a very popular pastor. And the case that he's making is that there's no such thing as hell. And, of course... It's a, uh, I think it hit the New York Times bestseller list, of course. Um, that's a message people want to hear. But the Bible teaches that we're accountable. And so Jesus is here pronouncing judgment on these cities, on the people of these cities. Why? Because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. What, what has been, as we've gone through Matthew, what has been the message? of first John the Baptist and then Jesus. Repent. Right? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. And He's announcing to these people, to these cities, you will be judged for your failure to repent. You are accountable for your sin. And then He says some interesting things here. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable. I'm in verse 22 here. But I tell you, it would be more bearable, will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, think about that for just a moment. Jesus is saying, on the day of judgment... It's going to be more bearable for these two pagan Gentile cities, Phoenician cities, than it's going to be for the people of these, these Jews, these inhabitants of these Jewish cities. Why? Because if the mighty works done in these cities had been done in those cities, they would have repented. So he's basically saying there, there's going to be judgment based upon the light that you've been exposed to. 
there, there, are, there are degrees of judgment. I mean, oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, sin is sin and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it's not. There, there are different degrees of sin. In fact, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the worst of the worst, apparently. But there, there are different degrees of sin, and there are different degrees of judgment. I mentioned that, um, but we didn't go into it, but I mentioned it back when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and we were talking about the reward that Jesus was promising. And, uh, you know, one of the things I said back then was that um, um, there, there seems, the Bible seems to indicate their degree of reward. I can't explain that. Just The Bible seems to indicate it. And I know that it indicates that there's a different degree of punishment or judgment. And I, I can't explain that either. I just can show you where it says it. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to look like. And frankly, um, I don't want in on the judgment. Don't, don't want in on the damnation. But he does say, plainly, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon than for you, Chorazin. Why? Because you repented, or you refused to repent, rather. And if they had had, and I'm paraphrasing, but if they had had the light you have, if I had done the works that I'm doing among you, if I had done among them, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So the implication is your sin is worse. You, you, more was given to you, and to whom much is given, much is required. And so there's going to be greater condemnation. Now he says the same thing about Capernaum, more or less. And you, Capernaum, will, be, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So, Sodom. Sodom. He brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. The region of Sodom. Everybody knows the story of Sodom, right? When, when Lot was, was there and, and, and his family, his wife, and God brought destruction, literally rained fire and brimstone on Sodom. I mean, it is the symbol, the poster child for sinfulness. I mean, we even use that, uh, th- those terms. Now, that, that place, you know... So, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we use that to, to describe sometimes how wicked a place is because it's known for its wickedness. And, and Jesus says it's going to be better off on the Day of Judgment than, than you, Capernaum, his, his, his adopted hometown. Why? Because of the light they had. Because of what was given them. Because what... What was put right in their presence. He says it this way, For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. How exactly that will work, I cannot tell you. In other words, how is it going to be more 
tolerable for the inhabitants of Sodom? How is their judgment going to be less if everybody, every unbeliever, winds up cast into the lake of fire? And I don't know the details of it, but I believe what Jesus says here. And it's a horrific warning. Because they wouldn't repent. Because they wouldn't believe. The Gospel. The good news of the Kingdom. Because the Christ, the coming One, the promised One, the anointed One, was in their very midst. And they refused to believe. And secondly, God is sovereign. All right? So first, man is responsible. Secondly, God is sovereign. Those two don't sound like they go together, do they? Well, they do. Now, we're going to look at the next few verses for this point uh, for a reason. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's also embedded in the verses we just read. The sovereignty of God, that is. Look again at what Jesus said. Let's go back to verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. First of all, let me say this, because there's another movement that's pretty strong in our day. Now, I know you may or may not get exposed to some of this, I don't know, in our neck of the woods, you know, because we're a little bit sheltered in, in the Bible Belt. Um, but it's, it's there and it's, it's strong. Another heresy that's going around is called the openness of God. And, and the idea is that He doesn't know everything. He's not all-knowing. And so, He's, he's pretty much um, waiting Himself to see you know, what men choose to do and, and the outcome of things. Um, let, me, let me suggest this. Not only... Does God know everything that will happen? And I submit to you that He does and that the Bible teaches that because He ordains it. But not only does God know everything in the future, everything that will happen, but He also knows everything that would happen <laughs> if things were different. He knows all contingencies. His, his knowledge is unlimited. That's fascinating, isn't it? He says, Jesus says, this is what would have happened if this happened. If I had done these miracles in their midst, they would have repented long ago. Now, are those just idle words or does Jesus know that to be true? I think He knows that to be true. He knows all contingencies. His, his omniscience covers not only everything that is, but everything that could be. One of the arguments that the uh, open theists use to say that you know, God does not know the future, uh, they try to make it sound good, and they say it this way, God knows everything. Of course God knows everything. We agree. We believe God knows everything. But the future is not a thing yet because it hasn't happened yet. So it can't be known. 
So God knows everything that can be known, but He cannot know something that doesn't exist. Well, again, I would say not only can He do that, but He, he can know things that won't, ex- won't ever exist. He knows all contingencies. He knows what Tyre and Sidon and Sodom would have done had circumstances been different. Now, this is where His sovereignty comes into play. Jesus said, If the mighty works done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Doesn't that raise a question in your mind? And let's, let's, I mean, I think this is uh, worth contemplating because I think it will help us understand God's sovereignty, but we want to do it reverently. If doing those mighty works in those cities would have brought them to repentance, doesn't, doesn't that raise the question, why, didn't, why, was, why weren't they done? And the answer is God is sovereign. God is sovereign and God doesn't owe anybody anything. I think the words that Jesus spoke here are absolutely true. If the mighty works that He did in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. But those works weren't done there and they didn't repent. And they face judgment. Same thing about Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. In other words, there would never have been the raining of fire and brimstone on the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. If the mighty works done in Capernaum had been done there, Sodom and Gomorrah would still be standing today because the people would have repented like the people in Nineveh. And that's why he's saying the judgment's going to be greater for you, Capernaum, because they would have repented. You will not. Tyre and Sidon would have repented. You, Chorazin and Bethsaida, refuse. And so it's going to be more bearable. Their judgment's going to be more bearable. And yours, because you have greater light, more is given to you. Why weren't these works done in Sodom? If that's what it would have taken to bring them to repentance. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Salvation is of the Lord. He owes us Nothing. Now think about this for a moment. I I think the gravity of, of those statements is inescapable. And yet, I want you to notice where Jesus goes from there. into a little doxology, a little, a little praise. At that time, coming out of those statements, verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Now let me ask you something. 
having considered what Jesus just said, if these works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented and they, 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 you know, things would be different. If these works had been done in Sodom, they would still remain to this day. Is the next thought in your mind to give God thanks? Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting, and, and please don't misunderstand me here, I'm not suggesting that we ought to rejoice in somebody's judgment, damnation. I love the statement that President Bush made when he was asked to make a public statement about the death of Osama bin Laden. He said, I'm not happy. I'm pleased. And then he said, America does not seek revenge. America seeks judgment. I mean, that statement ought to go down in history as, as one of the great statements from a U.S. president, or in this case, former U.S. president. That was so well said. I am not happy. I'm pleased. He was pleased because justice was done. He was not rejoicing over the death, the execution of a man. And I was so, personally at least, I was, I was so glad to hear that because there was some rejoicing going on. When a sinner goes to hell, when a human being goes to hell, and best, you know, my understanding is limited, but the best... I, I can make out that's what happened when Osama bin Laden died. When a human being goes to hell, uh, that's not a good thing to rejoice over. It's not a good thing to be uh, to talk about lightly or to be flippant about. It, it's serious business. A soul perishing. What is... Jesus rejoicing over here. What is He giving thanks about? The magnificence of God. The sovereignty of God. I thank You, He says, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And Jesus says, I thank You. I thank You for this, Father. He, he's rejoicing in the wisdom of God, like we talked about this morning, in doing things in such a way. He's rejoicing in the sovereignty of God. One of, one of the very doctrines that we, we find the hardest to swallow. Jesus is never ambiguous about. He does, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, read, read John 6. He doesn't beat around the bush about it. He's not ambiguous about it. He's, he's not distressed about it or sorry about it. He's thankful that God's in control. And that God is gracious. He goes on to say, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, I think what he's referring to there is not uh, literal little children, but, uh, uh, you know, the people who received Him, people who did believe 
who had what we would call childlike, or what Jesus called childlike faith. In other words, they weren't too proud, too arrogant to believe. I thank you, Father. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, notice what Jesus points out. The gracious will of the Father in revealing truth to anybody. In this case, the little children, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the humble, to paraphrase it. Because again, God doesn't owe anybody anything. And none of us deserve to be saved. And in our natural state, just left to ourselves, we're all proud and arrogant. Every one of us would be like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. We're not made of different material. We didn't come you know, cut from a different mold. The difference is just that God made these things known to us. He revealed Himself to those who believe. And Jesus rejoices in that and calls it His gracious will. And He goes on to say in verse 27, All things have been handed over to Me. And let me just say this, the fact that anybody's saved okay, is a manifestation of God's grace. A lot of times we, we, we worry ourselves about the fact that hell is a reality, and like I say, that's why people, some people want to deny it. That eternal punishment is a reality, and people want to deny it. And true, those things are they're, as we, they're hard. They're hard truths. They're hard to swallow. They're hard for us to take in our in our finite understanding. But it would probably be better, in fact, I'm quite sure it would be better, to rejoice in the grace of God that God would save anybody is an awesome display of grace. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. None of us qualify. It's a manifestation of His grace, His gracious will. So, Jesus says, all things have been handed, and again, He still has in mind here, God's sovereignty. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he's, he's, he's talking about the sovereignty of God, and then He just lumps Himself in there because He is God. God in the flesh. So anyone He chooses to reveal the Father to Will be saved. Otherwise, you, you don't know the Father. And Jesus says, you don't, no, nobody truly knows me, the Son, except the Father, and vice versa. Nobody truly knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So God is, God is sovereign. Man is responsible, and God is sovereign. 
Man is responsible. Everybody is called to repent. Repent and believe the Gospel. That's Acts 17. God commands all men, you know, we've talked quite a bit about that, all nations, meaning all ethnic groups, all peoples or people groups. Nobody's excluded. Doesn't matter if, it, if it's a, a, you know, Anglo in, in American in, in uh, Houghton, Louisiana, or if it's a, 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 some tribal group in the bush in Australia or Africa. Doesn't matter. All people groups, there's one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. No man knows the Father except the Son and whoever the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. And in Acts 17, Paul says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. That imperative, that command is binding upon everyone. Repent, repent, and believe the Gospel. Why? Why? Paul says, because God's appointed a day in which the world will be judged by Jesus Christ. By the man whom He's appointed. And that's Jesus. Because man's accountable. Because there's going to be a judgment. And because Jesus is going to judge. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before the throne of God and give an account for things done in the body. So the call goes out. Repent. Believe. John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles after them preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat and it's inescapable. And you can be anti-God. You can refuse to believe in God. You can declare uh, your own uh, autonomy. You will not be exempt from the judgment. So you're commanded to believe. You're commanded to repent. Man is responsible for our sin. And God is sovereign in salvation. (laughs) Well, if man is responsible for his sin, then surely he has the power to save himself. No, he does not. No more than Tyre and Sidon and Sodom had the power to save themselves. No more than Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum had the power to save themselves. No more than any of the apostles that we read about. No more than you and me. Salvation is of the Lord. God saves whom He wills. And Jesus says, Thank you, Father. Thank you that You've done it this way. For such was Your gracious will. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? How do we respond to these truths? I love, I just mentioned this too, I love Spurgeon's comment. Somebody asked, um, how do you reconcile these two things? 
the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God? It's an age-old question. And Spurgeon responded, you don't have to reconcile friends. <laughs> they're, they're both truths of Scripture. And they work together. You say, okay, go ahead and explain that for us. I, I, don't, I don't think I can. Another analogy Spurgeon used about those, these two truths, he said the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God, it's like a chain laying across uh, a, a riverbed, uh, you know, river, rather, with water. You know, we, we crossed a lot of rivers out in Phoenix. They didn't have any water in them. You, you go over the little bridge and there's a sign there that says, you know, says uh, New River or one of them was called Aquafria, and you look down, and there's not a drop of water in those things. So, <laughs> it's amazing. <clears throat> I wanted, you know, I like to bring some of those people back and show them what a river looks like, or bayou. <clears throat> Spurgeon said, it's, "It's like a chain laying across the river. You see both ends. You see the responsibility of man. You see the sovereignty of God. And you can't see where they meet." And we, we look in the Scripture and we see both ends. Man is responsible, and yet God is sovereign. How do, you, how do you bring those two perfectly together in your mind so that you can get a perfect grasp of them? Uh, you probably can't. You can't see where they meet. What you can do is believe both of them because the Bible teaches both of them. So how, how do we respond? Jesus has just pronounced woes on these cities. He's just talked about uh, impending judgment. And He's talked about the sovereignty of God and even rejoiced over it and gave God thanks. God is sovereign. The, these cities, these cities, judgment on them, they're going to perish. God is sovereign. Thank You, Lord, that You're sovereign. Such was Your gracious will. How, how do we respond to that? That's in verses 28 through 30. You come to Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden. Is light. And the right response to these things that we're sinners, that we deserve damnation, that we're accountable for our sin, we're responsible for what we do, and that God is sovereign and that nobody can be saved apart from divine intervention. God miraculously working in your heart personally, imparting life to you, and that apart from that, there's no hope. In other words, you're totally dependent upon God for salvation. How, how do we respond to those truths? Jesus says it. Come to Me. Come to Jesus. Say, well, maybe, maybe we ought to have some workshops and seminars and, and uh, 
try to figure out what we can do about this. Maybe there's another way that we haven't considered. Let's, let's form a think tank. No, Jesus says, just come to Him. Come to Him. Are you burdened? And I think these are the real qualifiers, so to speak. Do you labor? Are you heavy laden? Do you, do you feel like you need rest? I don't mean, I know it's hot. You go outside two minutes, you feel like you need rest. But we're talking spiritually here. Are you spiritually burdened? Are you spiritually drained? Do you understand that you can't help yourself and that there's nowhere else to go? Jesus says, essentially, you're a prime candidate. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're going to be under the yoke. You're going to take a burden, all right. But it's going to be one you can bear. He says, because I'm going to take your load. You're never going to be autonomous. You're switching masters. But you're, but you're going from a taskmaster to a sovereign Lord who loves you and lay down His life for you. Come, come. Come to Jesus. Do you feel the responsibility for the burden of your sins? Come to Jesus. Do you understand that there's no salvation apart from God? It's totally... Salvation is of the Lord. It's totally His work. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. (laughs) Come to Jesus. Trade the heavy load for an easy yoke and a light burden. Through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we too want to rejoice in the truth of Your, of your uh, <coughs> sovereignty and salvation. And thank You for Your gracious will. True, we don't understand much of it. But You've given us everything we need to know. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've sent Your own Son into the world to, uh, John says, to explain You to us so that we might believe. So Lord, may... May every other hindrance, every yoke, every bit of bondage be laid aside. By Your grace, be exchanged 
for the easy yoke of Christ, the light burden of Christ. To your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.